Identity crisis. Jamie, the producer of this podcast, not even music, which is me going on, Ian, me. Jamie constantly gets ID'd, mostly when he's trying to buy wine or gin or craft beer. Craft beer with a K. That used to be cheese. He was recently ID'd trying to buy non-alcoholic lager. Well, I think probably low-alcoholic lager. It just had enough alcohol in it for a smallish domestic cat, as opposed to a crouch-end-dwelling snow leopard, to want to pop on some Vaughan Williams and not be as bothered by the barky beast that lives over the fence. (coughs) Jamie is about to be 30, with flecks of silver in his raven's wing cropped black hair, He's actually going on 58. An old soul, as older, souled people often say when they're knocked sideways by anyone under 30 who's kind, politicised, knows what a cassette recorder is and has heard of Petula Clark, Tony Benn or the Wombles. Jamie's partner, Pete, is just a few years younger than the old-souled or older-souled Jamie, or below, as we were led to believe, at the Gwyneth School. Like anyone six months younger than yourself, was a part-time oxygen thief. Pete, 26, often answers the door in his pants to a delivery of craft beer or a Jan Morris book. I told you they're old souls. And he will be asked whether his mum's at home. Pre-pandemic, Pete was on tour in China, playing very good bass in Evita. He needed neither the chaperone or the ID to get himself to the theatre, play his bass, or grab a well-earned craft beer at the Beijing Beer Bar. The UK has recently been graced once more with this week's pernicious two fingers up the democracy pipe. This time with the Conservatives mooting another Orwellian-flavoured conserving motion. Voter ID. This is chicken feed to Doris the King. If you can illegally shut down Parliament, hand out unlawful Covid contracts like post-cricket tea cakes and threaten to flout international law. Oh, and as I write this... 535 quid's worth of county court judgments have just been slapped on him. Surely a good old CCJ is the domain of the poor. You know, those ones up north. Satire gold would of course be actual bailiffs coming for those rattan chattels and those framed Ottoman Empire silks. Don't let them over the doorstep, bozzer. They're like vampires, you know, the bailiffs. You have to invite them in and give them garlic if they get a bit funny with you. Oh, and when they're in, and they're in the Rudyard Kipling chill room, sling that big bugger with the shaved head, a razor blade, and a wallpaper paste tray, and he can shave off a tenth of a roll of Lulu Little's jungle fire, and that's probably the pesky bailiff well sorted. All credit (laughs) to our charming Prime Minister. Oh, hang on. Maybe not credit. Oh, actually, probably yes. Us mere mortals, blah, 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 blah. Identity. Identity. 
Away from the depressingly dystopian notion that you will vote for us, we've tagged you all now, identity has long been a flavour, a HUSP, a HUSP, a human unique selling point, a brand, a natural device to attract like or opposite, a well you know where you are with or I've always loved the way she identity from the tiniest purple birthmark to the rustiest coloured dappled age spot from the short R she speaks but sings with the perfect rolled one, from our family history, our lineage, our skin colour, our faith, our non-faith, our hatred, our quirks and quicksands, slow burns, yelps and whispers, we are all the same. But we're all thumbprint. That means we're different. We self-define with clothes, with practised moves, instinctive retorts. We delineate with gentle and personal proclamations of, well, if you ask me, and, <laughs> well, I would have done this, but you didn't ask. So what do I know or you know? We borrow, we steal and mirror like nobody will rumble us. We disappear or fight on Facebook, snark on Twitter, an impress on Instagram. Oh, Insta, you sexy fool, you temptress. One more little look and we'll all slide like otters off a bank into Lake Narcissus, deep and wide. Well, you don't have to look if you don't want to. Mm. Well, yes, I do. I sometimes look. I don't even do my own Insta account. Well, I think my partner is shagging a friend of mine mostly on Tuesdays in Ealing. And there are gaps, 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 gaps. I've seen mysterious meals on decking. I've lost all my sense of identity. Mr. Ben, Mr. Ben. Mr. Ben, that was written by a very splendid old friend of mine, sadly not with us anymore, called Duncan Lamont, the tune. Scottish sax player, superb songwriter. His songs have recently been revived and beautifully recorded by Esther Bennett and Tina May, two marvellous warblers of the jazzy persuasions. Mr. Ben, B-E-N-N, Mr. Ben, he had no problem with his identity. He was bowler-hatted and suburban and tiny-eyed. This character, invented by David McKee, lived at 52 Festive Road. Nearby was a fancy dress costume shop where he goes maybe once a week. Oh, I don't know. Maybe twice a week. And he tries on a costume and he exits through a magic little door and he takes part in an adventure appropriate to the chosen costume. There's a moral, beautifully yet not that explicitly encapsulated in this particular cheap cartooned Maxim. I loved it. I was nine or maybe ten when it first came on our telly. So you old souls under 30, yes, the TV was called a set. Yes, it had two sides. Yes, it had doors and everything was black and white. Though I do hasten to add, my actual life was definitely in colour. Mr Ben became a clown, a hunter, a knight, a balloonist, a spaceman, a cook, a caveman, a cowboy, my favourite, and Aladdin. And that involved a bit of carpet, obviously. Some flying. Oh, and a pirate. 
I remember that one. I think that was my sister's favourite. And the pirate one, it bothered me because nothing but nothing could come between me and Captain Pugwash. Seaman Staines, Roger the Cabin Boy and all that. How I wanted to be amongst all those things. I was at my local Tesco yesterday. I bought tulips for Mary, who is now 90, from Waterford in Ireland. Nobody buys me flowers no more, Ian. If you are in Tesco's, grab us a couple of pot noodles and a tiny bottle of bells. You know, those little wee fellas. I'll reimburse you. Uh, and a tiny bottle of bells, please. Oh, sorry, you got any ID, sir? I said, are you joking? And he said, yeah, it's been a long day. And I said, oh, I could hug you. And he said, well, you can in a few weeks. The Prime Minister was going on about it on the telly the other night at his podium. I know, I said. They gave us full instructions on exactly how to hug. <laughs> They'll be telling us how to eat our dinner soon, he said, as he handed over Mary's wee bottle. That got me thinking. Nowhere to go, but everywhere. Well, what are you going to do when lockdown lets you do what you like? Within reason. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go, actually go physically? Where do you want to be the most? Oh, I was Zooming a friend thousands and thousands of miles away. He's in Australia. I can see the white, yellow, parched concrete outside his kitchen window. Always a bit jealous of that look. Well... Uh, I could come over to you, I can help in the antique shop with the dogs, and, you know, I can walk the dogs after work. He lives in downtown Melbourne with his partner. Ah, yeah, well, the other man's grass is always green, Ian. Well, let's swap then. We'll take over your lovely place in London, and our four-bedroom, two-sunlit terrace barbecue heaven is yours for a month. A month? Nah, I'd miss my London too much. So where exactly do I want to be, to go, if there's nowhere to go but everywhere? My needs are actually quite simple. I'd like to sit in pedonies, not outside it, unless, of course, it's a gorgeous day on the Kennington Road and the artist and professional smoker and mediocrity Nazi, not my words, Maggie Hambling, saunters by and gets herself a drink and lights up. And Lady Caroline Butler and the Earl of Bedlam, Google that one please, they will be there, their brilliant, joyous selves. I've known Caroline since the late 80s. We met when she was hosting Lady Caroline's Jam, a brilliant, brilliant night at the Limelight Club in town, full of singers and players, adheringly and beautifully peculiar to those post-New Romantic nights. I remember July the 4th there one year, and Caroline was dressed as the actual Statue of Liberty, all verdigree green sponge and a stars and stripes cake of a hat. They live just around the corner from me near the Imperial War Museum. They are a bespoke clothes design team, and Niall Rogers is one of their happy customers. 
They will order moulin frites and a big old bottle of low-end fizz. Massimo will present it like it's 1958 and there's only a future ahead of him. Their small dog will bark and bark and bark and annoy the entire restaurant inside and out. And I will love every second. That's where I want to be. Either there or that. Or I want to be in the tiny courtyard of Scooter Cafe on Lower Marsh with my friend Mario. He's an actor and a singer and he's the very essence of London, to me at least. He's funny and kind, and he calls me Rose. He has done this for years, and I've no idea why. I lived at his flat between relationships in Borough for a year and a bit. If Bob Hoskins was in The Golden Girls and had to quit, then Maria would reign supreme, reign being the operative word. He was recently 60, and he drove down to my seaside den on the beach in Kent. I roasted him something. I got him a Maltese's cheap cake. He's half Maltese. Ha, ha, ha. And I made him drink rum and coke, which wasn't that difficult. We sat up and talked like old friends do. We're planning a Friday visit to my local gay pub, which is actually called The Cock. Ha, ha. It's a friendly, fine place. It's on Soho and it's packed upstairs and down with girls and boys from even further south than Soho or Kennington itself. We will hold on to our drinks at the edge of a dance floor, just like the olden days. We will joke about how fucking old we are. And Maria will say, we've still got it, Rose. We've still got it. Oh, look at her. Down in one, girl. Down in one. He's friendly, he's smart, he's a great singer and actor, he's kind and he's vulnerable. Things happen when I'm out with him, like my lovely mate, the American-born but London-living singer China Moses, who once saved me from an excruciatingly awful moment and an awards ceremony. I hate these things, unless I'm hiding on the stage as the compare, and then I'm fine. China and I toured with the great Pee Wee Ellis, Things happen when I'm with China. China and Mario now. There's a night to remember or forget. Either is fine. I've lived in Lambeth North, London, SE1, for what feels quite the stretch now. This neighbourhood feels as London-y as I think I could ever feel as a long-time dweller in this remarkable city. The pandemic put a violent stop to some city dwelling, and the cliches, the memes and gripes pulled we Londoners closer together and prized us further apart, as we soloistically and delicately fox-trotted and oops-sorried our way around the familiar grid of our collective daily grinds. Life became a gentler, quieter affair for many, and we re-tabled our time, I volunteered at two food banks, where every other masked and sanitised foot soldier was called Derek or Sarah or Mo. Some of my local haunts, for I am a regular ghost of the pavement coffee beat, shut up, seemingly never to return. Massimo and Dimi from Padonis, which was called River Brasserie too, I've no idea, no one ever knows about that, simply went home either to northern Italy or Croydon. I miss the banter, the free third cup of coffee. I miss the tiny stuff, the cheap hand wash, the plastic flowers downstairs, 
the back-to-back 90s hits, Massimo imparting his knowledge, his memories of that hot London summer up the Edgware Road, his first job as a young Italian in the super 70s when everything seemed to be orange and brown, and his friends who eventually followed him over and got jobs in cafes or bouncers at Mayfair nightclubs, and they disappeared as soon as they arrived into the suburbs, romancing, getting the girl, the car, the lawn, the kids. I'll call Lady Caroline. She's not really a lady tomorrow, I think, and she'll want to be there soon with or without the Earl of Bedlam, but definitely with me. I may want to be in Regent's Park again, this magical London oasis. To me, magical because my first proper book as a child was The 101 Dalmatians by Dodie Smith. I still have it. And The Twilight Barking, its follow-up, which isn't as good. I may want to be there, Regent's Park, probably alone. And there's the nub, the point of all this. I'm not ready to be in the joyful crowd. Knowing that my double-vaxxed self is doing a belter, a double belter in a physiological way of being right now, right here, right good and proper. It's not that I'm not desiring of fun. Come on, you should know me by episode 12, series 2. It's the expectant mystery of the dream of a return to life. The noise, the choice the letting down of dear friends. You said you'd come and stay and we could get completely trolled and creosote the shed roof. You promised you'd help me with the piano, move the piano into the back room from the front room up those stairs and we could get really drunk and then get a delivery. Oh, we could sit inside somewhere. You said you'd come to my 50th. I'm looking at go-karts in Harrow on the Hill or hot air ballooning in Box Hill or karaoke. You always said you wanted to do karaoke. You're a singer for fuck's sake. You earn money singing for fuck's sake, you fucker. What a fucking life. Imagine fucking you on fucking Hotel California drunk. After their special post-lockdown seven cocktails for the price of 12. No, thanks. I'd rather stay in. It's like the olden days when you stay in. Um, remember, what, February last year? Nah, no thanks. Nowhere to go. But everywhere. Nowhere to go but everywhere. Everywhere to go but nowhere. Book your two-hour slot for cocktails, then 90 minutes here, then 90 minutes at the Regrettatoria, then finish up at the piano bar around the corner from Ronnie Scott's in Soho. You know, that one where you went with that famous conductor and you brought that pretty young Belgian friend, the woman, and there she was and there were slats on the floor with no floorboards and you couldn't stop breathing and you were so excited in that back room and then because you're the nice one, you had to hold her hair as she was sick. Oh, all right, all right. Yes, I remember that night. And no, 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 no. Finally, no. I'd like to go to a quiet part of the river. You remember that one where we walked centuries ago and the music was only in our heads and we held hands and it was finally okay to do exactly that hold hands in public and I was as sure of you as you were as sure of me and we were drunk only on love that kind of love that is as unreachable as a forbidden toy on the highest shelf when you're 10 and it's finally okay to want to be simple again no noise No carried food in sloppy heavy bags on hunched up sloping shoulders. No, no, no. No large two-hour slots. No promises to be broken or written big in dark ink on small pages in tiny diaries. Empty for so many months. 
And at last, it's just perfect to know that it's okay again to have everywhere to go but nowhere. And wherever that is, I will be waiting for you. Not Even Music, written and read by Ian Shaw, was produced by Jamie Safir. Original music by Tristan Ryder. <laughs>